what is going on i want to welcome you from half court for today wednesday december 7th 2022 i'm your host sean murphy alongside my guy jeff i mean not jeff it's my guy troy sergi troy it's good to see you my friend good to see you sean a lot of good basketball this past week uh look forward to a couple of games this week certainly tomorrow night or i guess the night before uh as of we're recording uh with um luca and joker matchup that'll be a fun one on tuesday night um i myself i'm going to nets and pacers on saturday get to see That's what's up, man uh, that'll be a great opportunity for myself so man the games just keep getting better and better and uh we're a little over the quarter way mark already this year yeah. that just blows my mind yeah dude this this season's gone by super quick and and it's like one of those things where you know like you can just check the standings each and every day and it's like a completely different story especially like in the western conference you can just wake up one day like utah just like a week or two ago we were talking about how they're the first seed now like just like a three and a half game difference they're in the play-in tournament they're ninth right now like that's how crazy things are so you know it's it's unreal man but also joining us today is my guy you've seen him before on this show you've seen him as our guy our draft guy at Woodward Pistons, a, a great writer, also at Res Ball, at Burke Worldwide, my guy, Steve. Steve, it's so good to see you, man. I've missed you. Same, man. I'm happy to be back here. I'm with Joe here. He's on the phone with one coach <laughs> trying to fire him, and on the other line, he's trying to hire a new coach all at the same time, man. Just cycle through him. He, on, on, one, on, one, on one phone, He's got Lawrence Frank Lawrence on the other Frank. one. He's got Mo Cheeks. He's like, let's go. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Oh, my gosh. But, Steve, it's it's good to see you, man. Thank you so much for, you know, for for filling in. Obviously, obviously you know, on, like, last second notice, Jeff isn't really feeling well today, so isn't really going to be able to join us, you know. But, you know, everyone wish him, you know, good wishes or go, you know, yeah. go himself you know whichever one you like i personally prefer the second one but you know go wish him good wishes but also this is from half court reach and every week we do talk all things nba basketball sometimes with the crew sometimes with a different crew so it's it's a it's always a conversation each and every week if you like that be sure you like this video subscribe to the channel and be sure to share the podcast with your friends and join in the conversation down below in the comments but in addition be sure that you're that you're following us all on social media and keeping up with what we're doing. You can follow myself at Sean F. Court. You can follow my guy Troy at Troy Sergi44. And Steve, people can find you at Burke Worldwide at Resball. What's the what's the full Resball Twitter? Just so people have that, just because it's uh, it's abbreviated on our end. Yeah, Resball Pod. Resball Pod. Perfect. perfect. Awesome. Just wanted to make sure people had that. By the way, man, I've been curious. Tell me a little bit more about Resball. What's been what's been going on with that? What have you been up to with that realm? Tell me a little bit about it, man. So yeah, I started it uh, back in October, I think. So it's mainly a NBA draft podcast. I'll delve into things every now and then. Like I believe our third episode is all about how tanking is not a problem, even though Adam Silver keeps talking about it like it's a problem. And I'll dive into the history of that thing. And second episode was on does shooting even matter for the Thompson Twins? Because that's the number one, two, and three concern in there scouting profile even though they're mega athletes good ball handlers good scorers fantastic defenders like does that even matter and i looked into the history of a couple different prospects who shot terribly from both the free throw line and from three to say actually you know what maybe it doesn't matter maybe this is a reason to get more excited at them and from there done 
a couple different uh, deep dives into things. Really only done one player profile so far. Mike Sharf Joms from Dayton. If you don't know who Mike Sharf Joms is, he's somebody I'll definitely try and pump up more and more, a.k.a. Mongolian Mike. Uh, he's Mongolian first, Mike. Yeah, he's the you... first Division One athlete from Mongolia. And also his dad. It was the first Asian Harlem Globetrotter. And if you watch him play, you'll see that in his game. He's awesome. Dude, I'm looking him up right now. I'm so excited to watch his highlights later. This is one of my favorite things about talking to Steve, both on and off the pod. I always learn about new players that I fall in love with, like in the draft, you know, just like prospects that I'm looking out for, you know, like, like, you know, the, the thing with Steve, it's like, I I've known who Victor Wembanyama was for a while because I've been friends with Steve. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's where, that's where like I, I could get like my fill in with, and you know, that that's why I'm glad that he's here. You know, we, and, and obviously not many fan bases in the NBA are currently thinking about the NBA draft in December. However, uh, for some reason, I think the Pistons might have that pretty prominent at mind right now. Obviously they're, they're they're currently not the worst team in the NBA, but they are certainly in the running uh, right now. The, it looks like the four primary teams that are in the Wimbenyama watch are the Pistons, the Magic, the Rockets, and the Spurs. I would also throw the Charlotte Hornets yeah. into that conversation as well. And then another team that could potentially join that conversation is the Chicago Bulls as well, because. Guys, I'm not sure if you've been paying attention to what's been going on there, but they've they've lost three in a row. They're you know they're three and seven in their last ten. <laughs> um, they are uh, and, and that's with Vucevic, Levine, and DeRozan all in the lineup, and they're 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 switching their lineups around as much as they can, and nothing's working. It right. it looks like the only way to salvage this situation is you know either tank this season to get that pick. You know, that pick that's, you know, very heavily protected to be in the top three, because otherwise, if they don't have that pick, what do they do? Right. Because like the only other way they can really salvage anything is get whatever you can for DeMar DeRozan and for Zach Levine and the expiring contract of Vucevic. But guys, I mean, to me, it's pretty clear this isn't going to be like a successful core moving forward. If I'm the Bulls, like. I'm I'm considering pulling the plug here pretty soon, right? Certainly, and I think with a guy like DeRozan too, have such a good season that we had last year. Man, he wasn't gonna do it again this year, right? He wasn't gonna pull all that uh, baggage on his shoulders and 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 take in as the number one score as well as the number one everything really on that team last year and do it again and replicate it perfectly this year. Well, and even uh, yeah. then, Troy, like you look at the you you look at the the composition of their team and like the story of the run that they made that at the beginning of last year, the big things that we talked about, like as, as that were keys to their success, wasn't just like the great play of DeRozan, but I mean, Steve, I mean, you and I have even talked about like you know how you know how important like a guy like Lonzo Ball is. I'm sure you love a guy like Alex Caruso as much as I do. You know, like those guys were like it's so like like foundational and, and like and crucial to their success last year, losing just one of them has, has killed, like losing Lonzo ball has killed this team. And the thing that's like, like scary for them is that like, he still isn't, he still isn't running. He still isn't jumping. Like, he's not coming back. And you know, the, the other thing you look at, you know, and, and again, like you don't want to do like the hindsight drafting that everyone could do. However, 
Um, it, it, a lot of people are starting to look at the 2020 draft quite a bit because of the fact that there, there was a lot of misses and one, the one that's looking pretty glaring in particular is, uh, you know, the bulls taking Patrick Williams over a guy like say Tyrese Halliburton, who well, could have been pretty darn good with that core. I'm listen, every, every team that passed on Tyrese Halliburton looks dumb, including the Pistons, right? Like that's just inherently true, but the Bulls, with how badly they need a point guard right now, it just looks like a pretty glaring hole, especially with how Patrick Williams so far hasn't been like the most promising on the planet. But Steve, what it, like what have been your thoughts? First of all, just like, like you know, like you and I were kind of just talking before, like in, you even just brought up like like one of your episodes was how tanking you don't really feel like is as much of a problem as Adam Silver says it is. What like what would you like? Where what are your thoughts on like the current state of like like the lottery? You know, like the lottery contest, like like a lot of those teams that are at the bottom. What have been like some of your thoughts, like on the Pistons as a whole, like with that conversation? And you know, like what teams are you watching as far as like potential, you know, potential tank joiners? <laughs> well, before I do that, it's not very often I get to dunk on the Bulls, but what a stupid run organization! Like, need to be fired immediately. Number one, the medical staff has screwed Lonzo Ball over, right? This is supposed to be a small, minor thing he was dealing with. And whatever they did to him messed him up terribly. Steve. He might not even play for like another year and a half. Like if I was Lonzo in his camp, I'd be wanting to get out of there as soon as possible. Steve. And this goes all the way back to like the Luol Dang stuff where they almost killed him, right? Yeah. Well, even like, like sorry to interject, but really quickly, it's not just, it's not just Lonzo Ball that they screwed over with, with yep. this, with this knee stuff. Zach Levine isn't looking like himself right now either. You know what they both have in common, Steve? What kind of surgery did they both have? Non-invasive knee surgery. Which, Steve, Troy, what do I say all the time? That doesn't exist. Non-invasive surgery isn't a thing. Right. Not needed. <laughs> yeah. So, unreal. But, Steve, go ahead. My apologies. And not only that, they traded for Vucevic. They traded away Wendell Carter. They traded away that pick that, oh, by the way, this year, if it's not top, what, top four protective, then it's gone. So guess what? They probably miss out on like a Sar Thompson, Brendan Miller, all these other Gigi Jackson, these super talented guys, even somebody like a Case and Wallace who would be perfect for them. They're going to blow that chance. And they've overpaid for DeRozan. Fine. That one's okay. Like, whatever. They pay for Lonzo Ball. They pay for Alex Caruso. They give uh, Zach Levine that extension. And now, guess what? Another really stupid move they've done that has gone really under the radar is Io DeSumo was only signed for three years. Guess what? He's in their starting lineup. He's been maybe like their third best player. Now they have to pay him this coming off season. They don't have the money to pay him, even with Vucevic coming off the books. Like how short-sighted and stupid can you be? I don't understand why this GM still has a job. Trading away all those picks for Vooch, who even at the time is like, what, mid-level player? Like, is he a top 10 center even in the NBA? No. Navalis medical stuff. Like, you get a really good second-round pick and you screw yourself over by just signing him for three years. It just Everything about this team is so dumb. They're going to be in the lottery running, I think, for all these reasons. So Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's going to be interesting to see because, quite frankly, I don't think the assets that they have to, to sell – are going to give them quite the returns that are going to really give them a fruitful beginning of a rebuild. So they are, uh, they are screwed. Oh yeah. Kobe white, Kobe white's a restricted free agent this off season too. Way to go guys. That's cap management. Yep. 
And and even then, like, is that really a guy? Like, is like, is that the guy that you want to like really like? Yeah, that's that's a whole other thing. But you know, but you asked, sorry, you asked about like who I'm looking at in terms of the tank race. I mean, it's Orlando. It's us Piston fans there. It's also uh, the Rockets. Charlotte's the one that intrigues me the most because I think they need to win the lottery to save Lamelo Ball from just bouncing out of there, right? If they don't get a Victor Wembanyama. Scoot Henderson and Lamelo might be an odd fit, but again, it's fantastic. Yeah. They might be somebody that needs an Osar or a Gigi or somebody like that. But even then, maybe that's not enough for Lamelo, who's going to be, what, in year three next year? Uh, they really need it. I think they need it more than anybody else. Yeah, they need they need lottery luck badly. And badly. Steve, I got to have a question for you. And maybe if we want to answer this later on in the pod, that's fine too. We can hold off. But watching Victor's game, what team do you think would fit well with his game as far as his success, as far as putting players around him to have him have the best rookie season, best second season, um, as far as that will help his career blossom? What Give us one or two teams that you think uh, would be best for his career. Because we, we can say all, the, all we want about what teams will get better with him on their team, but what teams will help him become the better player? Charlotte, number one, because LaMelo is going to give him easy buckets. There's already a primary score there. And then they don't have anybody behind those two. So they can let Weminyama cook and do whatever. I mean, P.J. Washington's nice. Um, like, who else is there? If, uh, Rosier's okay. But, like, they're going to take a backseat to Weminyama. Weminyama is going to be the guy coming in there. And you want LaMelo on your team just feeding you as many easy shots as possible. If 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 Victor Weminyama comes into the NBA and is coached by Steve Clifford, I think I'm going to lose my mind like that. Like, like I understand that, like, you know, with LaMelo, like there's, that's enticing, but like, just talk about like, what a waste, like, just like putting, like just putting unlanded in the Lamborghini right there. You know what I mean? Don't worry about it. It's Charlotte. They'll go through another coach in like another season or two. Yeah, you got a, a second point. team to go with that too, Steve? Or, or are we the Pistons, of course, because the women Yama would want to go to the two teams with the best point guards, Lamelo and Kate. After yeah. that, like, come on, Jalen Green, they're not going to pass him the ball there. Right. You know, they already right. have a, a lot of guys that need shots there. And then Orlando, like Paulo and Wembenyama and Franz. And I don't know what's going on with Jalen Suggs if they want – and then there's Cole Anthony there. That's just like, I, I don't know who gets the ball and who's really going to be the primary option. I would think it's Paulo just because that'll be year two. Orlando, again, seems to me like a Orlando seems to me like a team that would like be perfect for Scoot. You know what I mean? Like that would like, if I were to say like what, like a team that would thrive, like Scoot Henderson would thrive in. Like, I feel like Orlando would be one just with like all the potential pick and roll partners there. Like, you know, I feel like to be honest with you, like a lot of the guards that they have within their system, like, Markel Fultz can't really like, he still doesn't really, he's never going to have a perimeter game. He's just not right. But like he can be average at best, but like, I, I, you know, like Jalen Suggs, we'll, we'll see what he can be, but like, I don't know if he'll ever be the type of score that, that Scoot Henderson is, would be already coming into the league. Right. So it's uh, I, I think that'd be a pretty good fit. Yeah. It's hard to tell It's whatever they think of Suggs and Cole Anthony is really what the determining factor is. For them and Scoot, like if there's like 100% bought into those two guys, then maybe they pass on Scoot. And while women Yama is somebody you don't pass up, I think Scoot might get overlooked for a couple of different reasons, size being one of the, the things. Um, and also just his name's been out there a lot of times. And we've seen this like countless number of times, right? When your name's been out there for a while, people 
find every reason to sour on you instead of like pumping you up. Yeah, for sure. Now I, I do want to get more into draft stuff here, like in a minute, but like Steve, I do, you know, we are like, obviously all Pistons fans here. You know, we all, you know, do have, you know, like we all do tune in and, you know, watch each and every game, no matter how painful it can be, you know? And, uh, uh, it's. I think it's. It, it. It's not a secret that this season for the Pistons has been a disaster. Like just from the sense of, of of what they could have done versus, or like what they could have done, and like what kind of development and growth they could have had versus what they're actually going to get. I think there's. I you know we were talking a little bit before the pod about you know. I said how I think on one hand, this could be a blessing in disguise that Cade's, you know, that Cade could potentially be out for the season because that allows guys, you know, like Killian Hayes to get more run that allows, you know, a guy like Jaden Ivy to have a lot of touches in his rookie year and to go out and, you know, yes, make a lot of mistakes, but at the same time, show a lot of flashes, you know, that of, of the player that he can be too. Right. I think, you know, like it can, it's a blessing for a guy like, Jalen Duran, who doesn't have to worry any about anything this season, who can just go out and play, have that type of leash for the youngest player in the league, you know, and then also for guys like Isaiah Stewart and even like, I, I even like a guy like Sadiq figuring out his role in the second unit, figuring out where he fits within, you know, within the assembly of these pieces, what's been, you know, like what's been, you know, first of all, your overarching impression of the season. Um, is there like, you know, on your end, I know there's probably like, you know, like I know everyone has their, you know, little things that they would, that they would, you know, bring up about Dwayne Casey. Um, are you, where are you at, you know, with him where, you know, where are your, what are your thoughts as a general there? And, you know, quite frankly, you know, like what would you do with Kate? You know, like what, what, what would be, you know, your ultimate decision-making there? Like if you, if he's available to come back this season, do you, do you let him come back? you let him play? What are your thoughts? I know I just threw a lot at you there, but I like to. So number one, protect Kate at all costs. Like whatever the medical professionals say, if, if there is even like a 1% chance, this makes it worse. Oh man, like shut it down. We'll get you back for next season. We're trying to think about this long-term. We care about you as a person. We want you to be happy and healthy and be here for a long time. I mean, Jordan missed a lot of time in his second year, if I'm not uh, mistaken with injury too. So whatever is going to help, Kade's long-term health prognosis, then do that. That's my number one thing. If that means sitting out this year, then do that. If that's to be able to come back and like get strength back on the court, get your lungs back, then do that. Whatever the best long-term health is for him. You are and right, then, by the way. Michael Jordan only played in 18 games in his second season. Yeah, I don't remember what the injury was, but um, I know you missed time because that was one of the things people had, had brought up when they're talking about if Cade misses most of the season, if not all. Uh, my impression, though, really comes down to like when Casey and every everybody comes down to one singular piston, and that's Sadiq Bay. Sometimes in the starting lineup, sometimes not. His three-point shot looks fantastic. Right now, his three-point shot looks like garbage, but he's still been able to do different things with the ball, get into the free throw line a ton, uh, along with Isaiah Stewart. I keep saying whatever those two did, they must have trained together, just the way they've been able to attack the basket and get to the rim. I believe Isaiah Stewart's free throw attempt rate is something like 44.4% right now because I was just looking at it today, and Sadiq's is like 35, somewhere mm -hmm. um, around there. 
But I've always been a Coach Casey supporter. I don't buy into these people that have said fire him because this was the year of experimentation. And I don't think that's changed at all. It's just that Kate is in there. So the experiment isn't that exciting anymore uh, because you have the main ingredient lost from it. And again, right. Sadiq is the perfect player for this because they're like, our bench sucks. One of y'all got to go to the bench. So Sadiq is the team guy, you know, for sure. So he went to the bench and he's taking tougher shots. That's why his three-point percentage sucks, in my opinion. Sometimes he's in the starting lineup. Sometimes he's like secondary creator. Sometimes he's the primary creator. It's this year of trying things out. And as Coach Casey has said before, they do want to do the double beef lineup, hashtag double beef with Isaiah Stewart and Jalen Duran. And we've seen it in spurts. Hopefully we'll see it more as the season goes on. So that's where I think Coach Casey deserves a lot of credit for being able to experiment and also having to deal with all these injuries, man. A lesser coach would have just fallen off the rails and not known what to do. But they've always had some plan in place, even if it was like just play the starters as many minutes as possible in the beginning of the season. But they didn't really have a choice, right? You had to kind of float guys in and out. Um, yeah. So that's my my thoughts on it still. Coach Casey's done fantastic job navigating all these injuries and stuff. And it's the year of experimentation because it's just year one of their foundation, as they've said, this is ground zero. This is what ground zero looks like. Yep. This is exactly what ground zero looks like. That is the that is the understatement of the century. But it, it's interesting because you look at, you know, like I actually wrote an article about um, earlier this week about Sadiq's, you know, perimeter shooting and like like what some of those struggles you know, like could be and like, you know, potentially like where they're coming from. It's just like, it's interesting because you look at the, you know, like you, you look at some certain areas of Sadiq's game and it's like, you know, he's gotten really good at driving to the, at driving to the lane and drawing fouls. He's in the 94th percentile in the drive foul drawn rate. So like, he's like one of the, one of the better players in the league at doing that. And that's why like, he's been able to still be productive and still like, you know, go out and like have, you know, have games where he's still making an impact on the offensive end, because even if his shot isn't falling, he's making his own luck, which is what you need to do when your shot isn't falling. The problem is his game is just inherently better when a shot's falling. Right. And it was, it was interesting. Uh, uh, as of November, I, I went and looked just out of curiosity. And as of November 28, 2021, his three point shooting percentage was 29.4%. As of November 29th, 2022, just a year later, it was 28.6%. So it was literally within a percentage point of each other. So I don't know if it's like a beginning of the season thing. I think to your point, like, I don't know if like some of Sadiq's shots have just been harder than they've needed to be, whether that's from a decision making or just from like the lineups and people just being in and out so much. But like, you know, the, the thing is, is like at the very least, it's like, it's not like, it's not like Sadiq's regressing, right? It's just shots just aren't falling right now. Like, are you really telling me that you expect, you know, Sadiq Bay to continue to have like catch and shoot threes only go down at like a 32% rate? Cause like, I don't, I just don't. Troy, what are your thoughts? Right. And I think, um, we saw this last year so much with Sadiq as well. And we're not talking about that enough. I mean, and he was able to, uh, about probably the third of the way of the season, score the ball more efficiently. His three-point percentage got higher. And really what I like with this Coach Casey experiment um, that I really think is, um, you know, a positive as far as coming off the bench is going to be that he's playing against other teams, rotational, you know, second unit guys 
who may not be as stronger defenders as your first rotational guys. I mean, that's just part of the game. Fact, Fact right. So he's able to score more easily because he would be um, on, on most teams, I think, uh, a, f- a fifth or a sixth option. Um, but, you know, on our team, he's probably, I guess, your, your second or your third, uh, especially with Kate out. Um, so I, I think that puts an element to his game that is going to increase confidence, going to increase efficiency. And hey, if he's wide open from that corner, shoot it, buddy. He made a couple uh, last or two nights ago against the Grizzlies. Yeah. What I will say is I hope, you know, I hope Sadiq is really learning from teaming with Boyan because mm-hmm. when you talk about, you know, like, because I think the big thing with Sadiq, we talked about, you know, like how talented he is and the things that he's capable of. It's just, the thing is with a lot of these guys that, you know, want to, that, that, you know, like the difference from these young guys who show this promise and potential and guys who actually become all-star caliber players or long-time rotation players is whether or not they can do it on a night-to-night basis, right? Like that's what it comes down to. Can I rely you to do this consistently so that we can go make a run and win a championship, right? And like, I think with Sadiq, like, you know, like obviously you don't want to see you know, him continue to have those struggles of shooting the ball to begin the season. But like at the same time, you know, like being around a guy like Bojan to me, like I think what you see with a lot of these guys, like, you know, a lot of these, you know, like European, like foreign, like guys who are like, you know, these amazing scores, like these amazing, amazing jump shooters is like how, like how committed they are to their routine, how consistent they are, you know, with, with their work ethic, what they do. Like Bojan's a guy that he, like, it doesn't, it literally doesn't matter what Jersey he's wearing. It does, he could be wearing a paper bag and he could be playing in front of a group of people that are all sitting the opposite direction, not even looking at the court. He would go, he would go out and score 40 and be just fine. Like that's, he, that's you at the very least he's given you 20. Mm-hmm. That's right? a funny image to put in your mind, but we've seen him score at will against really, uh, you know, Anybody. 60% of the teams at least play the Pistons once this season. I may be off with that math, but certainly more than half the teams in the NBA have at least got one crack at the Pistons this season, especially with their with their uh, West Coast trip. So he's able to prove himself really against every player, every defender. And put this season aside, he's been doing this his whole career. Utah, mm-hmm. Indiana. We saw this guy score at will. We saw this guy shoot the ball at high efficiency. Um, and we're seeing it again this year. It's just he has a bigger role on this team than his previous roles. Okay. Yeah, and if I can interject really quick, too, Bojan Absolutely. came in the league at 25. Yep. You already spent time as a professional in Europe, and Sadiq's 23, so yep. Sadiq's still trying to figure that part out. Yeah, no, for sure, and, and I was going to say, but the other piece of it, too, is Bojan is such a seasoned veteran that he can come out and do that on a, on a night-to-night basis, and that's what makes him so impressive, and that's why he's been in the league for so long. You know, like I actually talked about that a little bit in a video that we did earlier this week. I did earlier this week as well Is that like, it did take, you know, like it did take Bojan until about his, even though he came in the league at 25, it took him really until he was about 28. It's so like his third or fourth season, even then. So like, you know, for Sadiq, it's going to take a while, you know, like you, you have to be patient with it, but like, you know, you, you know, when I look at Bojan, and like, you know, you, you can look at the, like the shooting stats. They're all impressive. Like he shoots 51% from the field, 42% from three. His effective field goal percentage is 59%. Like that's crazy. But the thing that's like most impressive to me, you look at his entire game log this season, he's in single digits one time. 
he scored at least double digits every other game. Like that is the epitome of consistency. Is he perfect on defense? No. But man, with how much he's given you on that end, he all like he almost makes up for it. So yeah, man. He's been like that that's what I hope for Sadiq because he can look at that consistency and like strive towards, you know, that type of that type of level, right? Yeah, another name I've been throwing out there as I see Sadiq is Karan Butler. Karan Butler didn't mm. take until year four until he really figured it out. Like year two was terrible for Karan Butler. And then he went from Miami to the Lakers, had one weird season on the Lakers, then gets dealt to Washington. And that's where he really figured things out. And it was all oh, because Gilbert Arenas is there. Shot, 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 shots. Was going off left and right, being able to put him up everywhere. And Anton Jameson is there as a supplementary, and Karan could be number three, right? And then just figured it out. It's going to be that same thing with Sadiq. I think once there's a number two in there, he can settle into like third or fifth starter and be back to shooting threes and not having to create so much. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I think quite frankly, too, having Kate out of the lineup for so long, too, isn't going to help a, a shooter like like Sadiq as well. Because when, when your best playmaker is out of the lineup, which – you know, by by the way, like I, side note, like I I don't think there was any night where Cade's absence was more glaring to me than when they played Memphis the other night when John Morant was on the court because to me that was like the clear difference of a team that had their franchise player and everything was running at full gears, and a team that's in ground zero of a rebuild without their guy on the court. Like like with the Pistons right now, like part of why they're struggling so much, and like you know, like Troy, you can attest this too. When you don't have a guy like Cade in your lineup, your your go-to number one player, and your team is so young, outside of a guy like Boyan, you're like relying, like you need multiple players to step up and fill in that void. And absolutely. And when we look at other teams, they have that as well. And, and that's why unfortunately you see the Pistons kind of lower on that uh totem pole uh, in the standings, because we think of a team like Boston. You have a Jason Tatum, but you also have a Jalen Brown. But you also then, have a Marcus Smart. Yeah, but even you know, you have... look at a team like Milwaukee, and the, we're talking about the tier. I mean, even if we go, you know, to the Western Conference and we look at um, some of the teams. Well, even Memphis, out, they have Desmond yeah. Bain. They have, yeah. you know, yeah. they have Jaron Jackson Jr. They have Stephen Adams. You know what I mean? They 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 have guys like Xavier Tillman coming off the bench and playing valuable minutes for him. You know what I mean? Like it's right. like. Like, it's not just the fact that it's like they have their, you know, superstar player who's running everything, but it's like you see how fleshed out that team is, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, for sure. And uh, another thing I think we've seen this season, or just in the year of 2022 in general, I think this is the year of reminding people to don't write people off because we've just seen so many examples not just in in like the world of sports you know like i think the epitome of this is geno smith right like you know there he was like they wrote me off i didn't write back though and now he's like a potential pro bowl mvp candidate quarterback who's you know who's outplaying russell wilson this year but like in the nba world you have guys like Lori markinen who is a borderline all-star caliber player in utah after yeah, after being an absolute, you know, after being a bust in a system like Chicago, who made him feel, you know, who didn't make him feel confident, who where he had to live through the Jim Boyle era and like go through all the chaos there, that clearly affected him. And he's been better ever since he left. But also Killian Hayes, a guy that 
after the first 11 games. A lot of fans and a lot of people in media as well wrote him off and were very public about that. However, Steve, over the last 14, 13, 14 games, I mean, Troy, we've talked about this on the pod. Killian's been special. And last Friday against, against Dallas, for Killian to go out on national television, the only game in the NBA world, and outduel Luka Doncic in overtime, I mean, that was a... Steve, Like, if there was a highlight of this season for me so far, that's it right there, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just the fight to come back. When uh, data-driven Piston fan Andy and I did the 10-game recap for Killy, and it was just like, F, oh, the whole time was just like, yeah, yeah. Get, get around it, you know. Is it, um, yeah, it's like, is it an F minus or a G plus? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like. Yeah, exactly. So, but we ended like that that section on Killy in the same way was just stay aggressive. The last thing you want to do is to just go in the hole. And that's what he's done. And all credit to him, man, like just staying aggressive. Even now you can see when he, he what was it, the last game where him and Ivy got yanked, they were putting up some really stupid mid-range shots, but stayed aggressive and stayed in that mindset. It's just one of those games where you're off and you got to, you know, get the hook, but still he's just been fantastic. The defense has been same, the shots coming around, man, you just can't say enough good about how much he's been able to stick with this plan and to stay aggressive. Yeah, for sure. Big time. And really that was his coming out party in a lot of ways. He had that good game last year against uh, the Thunder, if we recall. I think it was, you know, it was like the 78th game of the season. It was really, it was in April. It was uh, It was pretty much against uh, Oklahoma City's G League, G League team. for lack yeah. of better terms. But he still had, you know, 20 plus points. I think he had 26. So um, that you can make your argument was his coming out party, but how he started this season, the first 10 games, like Steve mentioned, how we were all writing him off. All right, this is year three, and we're, we're he's looking like a legit G League player in, in year three. And this is a top 10 pick. To he goes out there against Dallas and he plays like a top 10 pick. For me, that's what did all the justice in the world to why we picked Killian Hayes at number seven back in 2020 and uh, what he's always had uh, potential to be. And to do it against Luca, it also shows you how deep this league is. And this is truly the top 400 players in the world. And anyone can dominate anyone on any given night. Yeah, for sure. I think also, you know, this is just a testament to the fact that, you know, we we talked quite a bit as well after those first 10 or 11 games, how important this was going to be for Dwayne Casey and Troy Weaver and the Pistons organization to handle. Because when you have that type of stretch, where you're shooting that poorly, where you're like, where nothing seems to be going right, and you just look like a shell of yourself on the court, like that can break you as a player. Like that can, that can shatter your confidence to the point of no return. And we've seen teams like the Warriors pull the plug on a guy like James Wiseman and send it to the G League. We've seen teams throughout the league like just say, all right, enough's enough. Right. And, and like, if Detroit did that with Killian Hayes after the first 11 games, I don't think anyone would have blamed them, right? But to, to their credit, not only after those first 11 games have they told Killian to like stay consistent, if you look, if anything, after those first 11 games, his minutes have only gone up. And part of that's because of the, you know, part of that's obviously because of the Cade injury, but like, 
just for them to like lean into him even more to keep showing him like showing that type of confidence in him. And now his last four games, 22 points, eight assists, 11 points, six assists, 16 points, eight assists, 17 points, nine assists. If this guy's a 13 and six guy for the rest of his career, or even like, even like a 10 and five guy off the bench, you take that with everything he brings on the court. You take that. Certainly, certainly. And the production that he's been given us uh, shows us all the potential in the world of doing that consistency. Because really, it, once that stretch, I think, against we went to Boston on the road, he's been playing like we always knew he had the potential to be. Um, and to see it being played out, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. One name I've thrown out there is six foot five Javon Carter. If you don't know Javon Carter, he's a starting point guard for the Milwaukee Bucks right now. Mm-hmm. Fantastic point of, of attack defender. Spent his college days under Bob Higgins at uh, West hell. Virginia. Yeah, just somebody that you do not want to be opposite of. Like every guard hates guarding or being guarded by this guy. I think Killian can be the taller version of that with the defense and then the supplementary offensive skills. Javon Carter doesn't have fantastic stats, but every Point guard in the NBA knows who he is, and and you know who really knows who he is is Drew Holiday because Drew he makes Drew Holiday's life so much easier and Giannis's life so much easier just by being that supplementary aggressive point guard. Yeah, for sure. And you know, again, even though like we we look at the you know like look at the season as a whole, you look at the win and loss, you know, win and loss column, and you know you say, man, you know, like as a whole, you know, this season's been pretty bleak. You know, like this is kind of a disaster. I think with the amount of of positives from a player development standpoint, I think there's a lot to to be encouraged with. You know, to to start, let, let's talk about the rookies, and you know, like let's and let's talk about their performance. Kind of getting back into draft stuff a little bit more. Just looking at you know this last class that Steve, you and I, you know, spent a lot of time covering together. You know, uh, Jalen Duran and Jaden Ivy, two guys that we've talked about a ton, and I think I would argue. For what their expectations were for both of them coming into their into their rookie years, I would argue they're both exceeding their expectations. I mean, Ivy's, you know, he I believe he's third in minutes, second in assists, top three in points for rookies. Jalen Duran at times, you know, has looked, you know, he, he physically he looks like one of the most physically gifted centers already, and he's 19 years old. And some of the things he can do is just absurd, but. Uh, you know, Steve, since, you know, since we haven't been able to talk too much about like how they've been doing this season, what have been your thoughts of the Pistons rookie class? You know, what, what guys in the lineup have you been, have you been pleasantly surprised by from a development standpoint? Ivy's playmaking number one, he's been a better playmaker than even like his most staunch supporters thought. I think like that was kind of maybe fifth or 10th, somewhere down there in the scouting report. It was like, Oh, look at how he can attack the basket. He's going to get to the free throw line. Your shooting's getting better. He's working on his mid-range. And then it was like, yeah, he's a pretty good passer. But the passing has been really good. There have been nights where he's dropped like nine assists. The turnover is high, but he's a rookie point guard. If you want guard rookie point guards to, to have low turnovers, then I'm sorry. There's like three in existence in the history of humanity. So yep. that, that's about it. His playmaking has been better than advertised. Again, being able to attack the rim. That's something that I think the coaching staff, if there's one beef I have with the coaching staff, it's that they don't utilize Ivy off the ball enough because at Purdue, that was kind of one of his main things that he did was coming off screens, pin downs, curls, doing a lot of these actions that we saw Jeremy Grant do actually a lot 
of the year last year. And a lot of people were like driven banana because he would come off of those curls and then just shoot a mid range shot and be like, why don't you just drive to the basket? I thought that would be like one of the things that the coaching staff would keep intact. And then Ivy could just, you know, get to the rim that way and draw extra contact. Um, so that's one thing, but still just natural scoring instincts. That's the one thing you cannot say about him is that he does not take a bad shot. If anything of being a coach's kid shows up on film, it's that like that Memphis game is probably the first one where you could really tell the coaching staff was like, didn't like, no, nah, dude, you need to dial it back. Other than that, like he's not taking a shot where you're just like, what are you thinking? They're wide open threes. They're at the end of the shot clock. They're in the design of the play. Like he is taking the shots he is supposed to be taking. Right. On the negative side of things, the mid-range game is still not there. That's going to take a long, long time to develop. You know, Jaw took a while for him to get that floater game. Ivy's going to sure. have to have something there as well. I mean, he just doesn't take many shots in the mid-range, number one, and they're just not falling right now. Yeah. In the mid-range, he's only taken 22 shots, according to NBA stats, and he's only drained five of them. And I think and that's even the, something, like, he came in, I think, almost right away, like, even coming into rookie year, that was, like, something he was saying, like, yeah, like, we're, we got to work on that, like, or, like, I'm going to be working on that. That's definitely something, because, you know, when you talk about, like, being, like, a three-level scorer, when you don't have that middle level, and you can only go really far back or really close up, and you can't have that in between... That makes it a lot harder to get to the basket. It really does. I mean, going back to the Bucks analogy, that's what separates a Javon Carter from a Drew Holiday. I mean, a lot of other things heighten whatever, but you know, Drew Holiday can create all three levels, maybe not at the highest, but it's what makes him a second or third option in the playoffs. Whereas Javon Carter is just stuck out on the perimeter half the time, right? Um, being able to knock down threes. But again, Ivy is only twenty-two point seven percent in the mid-range, only twenty-two shots. In the paint, he is 17 of 57, which is 29.8%. Those are the main things that are, are dragging him down right now. And again, that's part of the reservations I had of him beginning drafted by the Pistons and why mm. I preferred somebody like a Benedict Matherin is that is going to take time. With the Cade injury now, he'll have more time to iron those kinds of things out. But it will be something to monitor as these shooting splits I can tell you his three most prevalent shot types, too, are a driving layup shot, which he's 48.2% on, the jump shot, which he's 27.7% on, and then a pull-up jump shot, which is 21.1%. Even for a rookie, those last two ones aren't, aren't good. Yeah. Um, he's going to have to work on that. The jumper, that one's the hardest part to like really know because, again, I'm, not a, I'm just some – I'm a fan. I'm invested. I do a lot of homework and stuff, but I'm not a shot doctor. I'm not a coach. So that's something that internally they'll have to figure out because his shot variance is just odd. Again, yeah. when I did the 10 game thing with data driven piston fan, his thing was shot variance. It's not that they don't get there. It's just that when he misses, they are way off. So there's something with that, that shot that it looks fine. And the arc looks good, but they're not always lined up and consistent as they should be. Yeah, for sure. I think I think his shot definitely needs to be toned in a little bit more, you know, and, and Troy, I think with with a lot of that, you know, too, I think, you know, some of that, I think, you know, definitely like, you know, with, as far as like the shooting goes, I think it doesn't help that he has to, you know, probably, you know, force more shots than he had to before with Cade being, you know, being out of the lineup and, you know, him being in much more of a situation, much more in a situation to be one of the number one guys in this team. But, you know, I, I, I think also at, at the same time, 
you know, like when you talk about like, you know, to Steve's point, like, you know, being, you know, being a coaching son, like, like a coach's son, he's not going to have the lack of, of voices or people in his head that can help him with working on some of this stuff. But. Right. Which should be exciting for us Pistons fans, as well as just him himself with his career is that he has a, so many good basketball minds, um, you know, putting their input in his ear. Right. And I think with anything in life, any profession, any vocation, having those voices, those experienced voices, those strategic voices um, are going to be very helpful for him long-term. And I don't, I can't see any of those voices being contradiction to what a Dwayne Casey, which I would probably say is the best voice that is in his ear right now um, is telling him. So just kind of maybe that um, repetitiveness of how to play the game, how yeah. to facilitate, how to shoot the ball, score the ball. What, what situations is it more appropriate to, to hit that, uh, three-pointer a few feet beyond the arc versus passing it or swing it around a couple more uh, rotations uh, or dish it to your big. You know, there's just so many elements to the game of basketball that um, coaches and people who have been in the game for, for a long time can have good input on. So, Yeah, for sure. I mean, Steve, I think my, bit, I think my main point is 99% of NBA players in this league, when they call mom and complain about practice, they get, oh, I'm sorry, sweetie. That's got to be really tough. I'm here to support you. Whereas G- Ivy gets, well, did you did you put in the work? Were you putting up your shots? No, also, no, I was no. watching what, over what some happens plays. Is mom calls after every game, like, what were you thinking on this, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, what, like one hundred percent. Like you know, that's just you know, and someone who again also worked with John Morant and the Memphis Grizzlies, and you know, as such a great basketball you know resume. Again, I know you know, I know everyone in the NBA has access to world class trainers and world class coaching, and everyone has that. But again. I think it's, you know, in my opinion, I don't think it's something that you underestimate that he has that in his home too, right? Like that's just, you know, that's just special. But, um, you know, moving on, talking more, you know, draft-wide stuff. Steve, I've been avoiding having this conversation on the pod for a minute, but since you're here, I want to have it. A lot of people on Pistons Twitter have been saying, this season better be worth it and posting photos with of Victor Wimbanyama. Now, obviously, Steve, none of us are going to sit here and deny that we haven't thought about what Wimby would look like in a Pistons uniform, what he could do alongside Jaden Ivey and Kay Cunningham, right? Like what, like what type of, you know, if, if it all develops and works out together, what type of mother dynasty we could have on our hands with that? However, we saw last year what can happen when you have a top three pick, at least what you thought was going to be a top three pick, even though, you know, we still got a guy like Ivy at five. You still got at five when you thought you could be in the top three, right? More likely than not, the Pistons are not going to get Victor Wembanyama. That's just breaking news. That's just how the lottery works. But Steve... I know this is like an anticlimactic draft because we know who's going number one and two already. Like, it's not even January yet. We know the top two on this board. However, there is a metric crap ton of talent in this draft, Steve. And in my opinion, even if the Pistons don't get a guy like Victor Wembanyama, I still feel like having the, you know, the type of pick that they're going to have in this year's draft they're going to still be able to walk away with a hell of a player and with the cap space they're going to have too. I think this can really be 
a, a foundational summer for the Pistons this year, whether they get Wemby or not. What are your thoughts? Well, in my big board, in my tiers that I've been breaking up, there's one and two, like you said, there's the, like, it's already been decided. There are, in my opinion, 11 guys in contention for the number three overall pick. Amen Thompson's been the favorite by a lot of people for a while. Cam Whitmore has been another one that's been floated out there. Keontae George, Nick Smith. I think there are also other guys in there that should be in consideration for that. Tariq Whitehead, who unfortunately is working himself back from a foot injury, wing from Duke. Asar Thompson, Amen's brother, who I think is better than Amen. I would rather draft Asar over Amen, especially for this Pistons team. Um, we can get into that if you want. Gigi Jackson, who I am humongously, a humongous fan of. He's got the Jalen Dern factor. This kid is 17 years old right now, leading a South Carolina team in NCAA uh, basketball. Super raw, but six foot nine, 215, plays small forward sometimes, sometimes center, uh, shot creator, does a lot of cool different things. Keontae George, who has one of the best jump shots you'll ever see. Uh, Nick Smith Jr., who I mentioned, Amin Thompson, Jarris Walker, Kaysen Wallace, who just torched our poor Wolverines like he just couldn't miss <laughs> from three. He was on fire. Fantastic defender. A lot of people say Drew Holiday 2.0. And then there's Brandon Miller, who a lot of people have been pumping up more and more into that top five range. Natural scorer, fantastic shooter. And then the last one for me, at least, is Anthony Black, who started the year off super slow, but has like Lonzo Ball type potential as a fantastic defender. Probably a better like on ball point guard defender. And at six foot seven, 198 pounds, the way he can pass, the way he can do a bunch of things on defense. The shot's still coming around, been able to score a lot, like blew up in Maui uh, in that tournament. Uh, all those guys, I think, would be fantastic additions to the Pistons. Some would be better fit than others. Um, some right. might, like, mess things up, like the guards. Even though I like Keontae George and Casey Wallace, one of the things I fear is the three-guard lineup Pistons, where Cade moves over to the small forward. I don't want that to happen. Right. Yeah. That's fair. I think, you know, it's one of those things where it's nice that Cade can play the small forward if you need him to. But again, the, you know, the benefit of this team is when he has the ball in his hands. But I mean, Troy, with, with what Steve just said and rambled off there, if there, if that is any, any indication, there are a metric ton of players that would add a lot of value to this team that are coming into the draft this year. And even though, you know, you know, inherently, of course, you want to get the number one pick. Of course, you look at Victor Wimbanyama and you say, oh, my God, he would he would be incredible. Like, you know, just the the thought of having that type of player on your franchise ever in your lifetime is crazy. Right. Mm -hmm. But yeah. even then, you know, again, like that's you know, it's it is it is something that you could set yourself up for real fa failure hoping for but also like missing what else is out there as well, because, you know, there isn't, you know, just because the Pistons don't get Wimbenyama doesn't mean they're never going to win a championship while he plays a, while he plays in the NBA. Right. Right. Absolutely. And um, man, there's just, there's so many different directions you can go with that, but uh, to Steve's point with kind of it being a, a guard uh, centered draft in a lot of ways, other than Victor, um, you know, you have an interesting, um, you know, choices to make in the offseason if you if you want to look at like a Sadiq Bay's value, um, if you want to relook at a Marvin Bagley or 
for a uh, Isaiah Stewart's value as far as throwing a package in um, and trying to upgrade, uh, you know, to something uh, would be interesting too. So really with this draft, there comes options to whoever the Pistons land. And that's kind of where my head is at is uh, you can see a potential regrouping of a lot of these players in the off season uh, based on a, who we get. So I think, who we get will kind of dictate some of the direction of some of the other guys as well. And I think uh, that needs to be mentioned as well. Yeah. And I think, I think also with that too, I think this season, you know, even though a lot of people look at it as wash or people think the Pistons are just tanking, this is very much an evaluation season. And, yeah. you know, guys, you know, right now are, you know, going out there and, you know, like players like, you know, those like those third year players like Sadiq and Killian and, and Stu are very much going out there and just continuing trying to develop in their game, you know, and just play as much basketball as possible. But guys like Hamadou Diallo, Kevin Knox are fighting for their future on this team and trying to fight for justification that they belong here. Right. And like there's, you know, multiple players on this team that are trying to pr prove you know, their, their role, like even Isaiah Stewart, he's trying to prove that he can play both the four and the five, that he can be that versatile guy, you know, Jalen Dern, he's trying to prove that he can be that long-term franchise big. So I think, you know, like there, those, there's a lot, I, in my opinion, I think we're going to have a lot more clarity of who's going to be in the building going forward at the end of this season than we do right now. Yeah. But I think that's, you know, I think that's what a lot of it is, is like, you know, a lot of guys do have a lot to prove this season still. And I think there are still a lot of storylines in that light, you know, to look at. Do you think, you know, real quick, uh, before we get into like a little bit more, you know, like draft stuff and diving a little bit more into that, do you guys think the Pistons are active at the trade deadline this year? Do you think they move, you know, do you, th you know, I know a lot of people literally just ever since we've gotten him, for some reason, have just been looking for what ways to trade Boyan. And like, I don't get it. Like I get like you want more picks, but like at a certain point, you also need guys who can play basketball. Right. You know what I mean? So like, I'm like, going to answer that. No, I, I just don't think we have a need to be active at the deadline. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. Steve, what are your thoughts? Well, I was talking to Joe here and he said <laughs> that anytime you can trade is a good trade. I mean, I think, I believe the bullion thing is it's, it's gotta be one of three. Cause they have three really good veterans that it would make little sense for them to keep and Nerlens Noel, Alec Burks and Bojan Bogdanovic, right? They all seem ripe for being able to trade and it would just seem odd to me for Trader Troy not to want to do that. Going back to the idiot bulls we just were talking about before too. I think like if you wanted to do something to pressure them, maybe they're like kind of on the edge of the plan or like 10 or nine somewhere in there. I mean, we know Troy liked Pat Will, right? We, we've heard that he liked Patrick Williams. And also, yeah. if Lonzo Ball has this long-term health thing, like, why not bring Lonzo and Patrick Williams here to Detroit? Get Lonzo right and healthy. You don't have to rush him back, right? That's somebody who would work. How many more point guards forward. do we need, Steve? But he can play small forward and shooting guard. He doesn't need to play point guard. He's not like an on-the-ball point guard. He's mainly a defender and shooter now. I mean, his, I mean, but his playmaking is really like when he's the quarterback of a team, like in my opinion, that's what Lonzo. No, nah, when they, that. when they used him in new Orleans and when they used him in Chicago, when he was healthy, he was mainly as a floor spacer and like a supplementary wing type of defender, which I think would be fine. And again, you get somebody who's a low cost, help him get healthy to save him from that Chicago situation and the, the, the staff there, and then get Patrick Williams along the way. I mean, if the bulls are desperate enough to, to like pull a, 
a play and push, then why not take advantage of that? And Chicago is not going to be the only desperate team in the league. Yeah. I mean, the Lakers have been rumored with like so many. I just don't know anything that's that enticing there from yeah. them. But uh, yeah, they, to me, those three veterans, it would just seem odd for Troy not to want to do something um, there to again get some competent basketball players who not just picks. Yeah, and, and and I think you know, in my opinion, um, I, I agree with the fact that you know I could see Troy trying to get value for those guys. I think Nerlens Noel is almost like a one hundred percent certainty that he could be moved before the deadline, just because you know his his, his entire presence on this team from the beginning of the season has been break class in case of emergency big. And I think, you know, like towards as the season unwinds, I think there's going to be less emergencies. And even if there is an emergency, I don't think that's a, a bad thing for Detroit to wind down this year. So like, I just, you know, from day one, his, you know, his presence was kind of, you know, the writing was on the wall for him, right? Like with Alec Burks, I wasn't quite as sure. And, and, and as, as I've seen him play and like, as I've seen like the consistency that he brings in the second unit, you know, part of me, you could like part of me could be convinced for bringing him back for as much value as he is for like as cheap as he is just because, you know, like that, that's like when you're looking at like the salary, you're looking at like what, like, you know, like what you're going to have to bring in, like with how much, you know, cap space Detroit's going to have to be able to bring in a guy like Alec Burks off your bench, you know, who's, a, you know, as consistent as he is for how cheap he is like that also might be a contract that's worth keeping too. So like there's like, there's arguments that like Troy could go out and get the, get assets. But like at the same time, I don't really know if like some of the pieces they have in house are really bad to keep either. You know? Yeah. I think if the trade does happen, it would be for somebody like uh, Patrick Williams or the other one I was thinking about today was Moses Moody. Like Moses Moody's kind of lost on that, that rotation. He's like the 10th man there. Um, and somebody like Alec Burks would be really beneficial to the Warriors. They'd have to do a bunch of different things to get the, the cap numbers to work, but they need somebody like Alec Burks. And yeah. they don't really need Moses Moody. And they have Dante DiVincenzo, who they kind of like and is maybe a superior defender. It just seems like there's not really room for a Moody development train. And a Moody and Cater are old buddies from Montverde, so why not? Yeah, for sure. Now... Uh, I do want to talk a little bit like NBA wide, just things that have been going on in the basketball world of late, just because there's been, you know, there, there's been a lot of really good hoops being played, man. I mean, first of all, uh, by the way, I just want to say a preseason prediction that I had on this pod that is looking better and better and better. Troy, what did I say? What team did I say was going to be a low key contender in the Western conference? A low key. Did you say Sacramento or where some someone else? Oh, well, Pelicans. Pelicans. The Pelicans. The yeah, New yeah. Orleans Pelicans are second in the Western Conference. Fifteen and eight. Jose Alvarado just went off for thirty nine points. That's nuts. The other That's night. Nuts. But also, it's been you know it's been the consistency of guys like you know Brandon Ingram. It's the fact that Zion has has looked awesome since night one. <laughs> like he's just been great. Like Steve, I'm in love with this with this New Orleans team not just for the stars that they have but when you talk about all the role players in the dra- and the guys that they've gotten in the draft like Herb Jones, Dyson Daniels, you know like I I I just like a lot of the pieces they have here man. My guy Triple Trey Murphy man, he was the guy Murphy. the guy guy one of the Pistons to draft alongside Kate in that same draft, 6 foot 9 shooter, super good athlete too as well. Uh, he's already taken 124 threes and he's shooting 41.1 percent 
from through Herb Jones to like, yeah, somebody called them the deepest team in the league. It's hard to argue against them when you have somebody like Jose Alvarado who just comes out of nowhere and changes the dynamic of the game just from his effort off the bench. You just don't see that very often. And then Larry Nance Jr. is on this team. He's always been a fantastic uh, sixth to seventh man in there. Najee Marshall, underrated dude. I mean, Devontae Graham's been relegated to like 10th man on this team, and he's still a really good shooter. Yeah, I agree with you in terms of them being able to to be a low-key contender, especially with the Lakers still like trying to round into form. They're one AD injury away from being a terrible team again. Uh, Who knows what the Clippers, if the Clippers are ever going to get healthy. Who knows? Kawhi's new nickname might as well be Street Clothes at this point. I mean, the Warriors have been kind of up and down. They'll figure it out, but... But still, this does look like a team on the rise that I would not want to face. Yeah, 100%. But also looking out west, like, you know, just like other teams, you just brought it up. And Steve, we have, and Troy, you can attest to this, we have a no Lakers conversation rule on this pod. And we said we would only bring them up when they are worth mentioning. And Steve, Troy, the Los Angeles Lakers are worth mentioning. Because they are, they have won eight of their last 10. But not only that, over the past stretch of games, it looks like the the Anthony Davis of old, the guy that could take over games and single-handedly dominate in the paint and just put a team on his back. Like the guy that we've been wanting to see, Anthony Davis, is starting to look more and more like that guy. And in his past two games, as of recording, he's gotten respectively 44 and 55 points. It, you know, since, the, since November 2nd, Anthony Davis is averaging 30 points, 13 and a half rebounds, 61% from the field, two and a half blocks. This guy's doing it on both ends of the court. Troy. Anthony Davis is looking like that guy again. Yeah. Yeah, he is. He definitely is. And I think uh, just his interior defense has been impressive uh, to me, but also his ability to score in the post has been very impressive. Like, 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 I mean, okay, we know that about Anthony Davis. That's not a shock. But his ability to have such dominant performances down low, like he is a true, like, dominant threat from the paint like like in ways that we haven't seen since his new orleans days in some areas right um and i think this kind of just come came because of i i think he's healthier than he has been in the past and we've known how dominant he can be i mean again i'm not saying this is a surprise by any means but i think it's a surprise as far as how bad the lakers have been the past couple years but also their inability to really utilize him to his full potential. And I think now in some ways they are, um, but also uh, Pat Bev does help their team. Um, I, I really believe uh, he he does as far as uh, his ability to move the ball. And I think he is a good defender, um, but Anthony Davis, just the dominant presence reminds me a lot of his New Orleans days. And we're seeing that um, flourish again. So for me, that's just what I, what I see. Yeah, for sure. And not only that, but I mean, like Steve, when, when this Lakers, when the Lakers made this trade, the entire premise was that it, that Anthony Davis was eventually going to be the guy that was going to take over 
put the team on his back, become the number one option, and that they were going to start winning through him. And, you know, people could say whatever they want about Russ and, like, you know, what's happened over the last couple of years. The Lakers haven't, haven't been where they've wanted to be because Anthony Davis hasn't taken them there, right? And I think this season what we've seen is over the course of the last, you know, 10-plus games and over the course of the last month, we're seeing him come back into form. And, I mean, to his point, like, another thing, like, you know, it's like it's not just the fact that he's, you know, that he's, you know, that he's, you know, dominating the paint. It's that he's almost strictly doing his work in the paint. This was when he scored 55 points the other night against the Wizards. Notice how he only took three shots from beyond the arc. Anthony Davis is one of the least efficient jump shooters in the NBA over the course of the last two years. My bad. The the least efficient, not one of the least efficient jump shooter. So stay the away from the three point line, get near the basket and dominate because he's, he's a generational big in the post, man. He really is. Yeah. And I mean, he, enough credit, like AD and LeBron obviously get all the credit. LeBron is currently taking 7.4 three pointers a game. So he's part of the reason for that 33.1%, but he makes them enough really who AD should be thanking and getting on his hands and knees, giving him extra money, whatever it is. Lonnie Walker is shooting 39% from three on 5.3 a game. And then Austin Reeves has stepped up more 38.7% from three that coupled that with LeBron who already needs a double team. Like you can't double team anybody anymore when those four are on the court together. Um, yeah. Especially Lonnie Walker, man, Lonnie Walker, all, all credit to him being able to find a situation yeah. uh, where he's able to maximize his athleticism and work on that jump shot. I've always been a big fan of Lonnie Walker. So hopefully he'll continue to get, get better and get a new contract maybe with the Pistons. Who knows? <laughs> hey, who knows? But I mean, in, in all seriousness though, like I think, you know, when you see those types of like to, those types of guys stepping up and playing better and you see, you know, a team like having those types of performances, like a lot of that can be sparked by when your best player goes out and has a game like that, because you know, when, when it, it's, it's, it's one thing when Anthony Davis, cause like last year you look at, you look at what Anthony Davis did statistically and you go, Lampy Davis played fine, but like he could go out there and get 25, 27 points and get a double double. And it looked like it didn't have a single effect on the game. The thing that's different is that it seems like, you know, to me, Troy, when I watch a Lakers game now, it looks like it's almost single-handedly Anthony Davis's mission to go out there and make sure that the Lakers are going to win that game. And at the beginning of the season, there were, you know, there were talks of Anthony Davis needs to demand the ball. He's demanding the ball, right? And he's being active. And that it's just, you know, we we've had I, I myself have been very critical of Anthony Davis on this pod three months ago. I called him the most overrated NBA player in the NBA. I sit here today, say you know, saying I want this is the guy that I wanted to see when I said that. Mm-hmm. And right. so I stand here saying I'm glad I'm wrong because it looks like this guy is playing into his potential. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. But I think too with AD. Um, he's making it his team in a lot of ways, which is crazy to say with, with the LeBron James on your roster as well. But, you know, you've said before, Sean, uh, when the Lakers were struggling, you said, isn't this supposed to be Anthony Davis's team? Well, guess what? We're starting to see it, that it is Anthony Davis's team. And that's exciting, I think, for um, a lot of different reasons. But I, I think it's exciting um, because we know that this was always a part of his game, but to use it as such a dominant, like that Wizards game that you brought up. I mean, the, when the guy touched the ball, he scored. Yeah, flat out. 
Like, like, like there, like there's very few players I can probably count on one hand when they, when they touch the ball, they are an automatic, like 50, over 50% chance that the ball will be shot and it's going in. And, you know, Giannis can be like a guy like that, like a Luca. Um, and I'm not just saying, you know, scoring the ball, but uh, it passed the ball um, to some of these guys are great for, um, playmakers. Um, so I, I think with a guy like Anthony Davis, he has established himself as a dominant player. When, when he touches the ball, you better double team him quick because he's going to score. He's going to pass the ball down low and uh, get an easy look. So for sure. Now, all that to be said, the one thing about this that doesn't feel super sustainable is that even though Anthony Davis is playing at the level he is, Steve, you said it a minute ago. How do we know Anthony Davis is going to stay on the court each and every night? Each I still each and every night go out and watch him and go, man, I hope he doesn't get injured tonight. And I don't have that with any other player. Like legitimately, it's like you go out and it's like every every time you see Anthony Davis fall on the uh, fall, you know fall on the floor, you hold your breath, right? Also, same thing with LeBron James. And even though Anthony Davis has taken that heavier workload, LeBron's still averaging 35-plus minutes a game. Guys, he's he's 38. He's 38 years old, averaging 35 minutes a game. That's not sustainable, especially if they want to make a deep playoff run. And so, like, that's where it kind of gets to the interesting thing. Now that we've seen this team start to step it up over the past month, now that we're starting this to see that this Lakers team does have something, like it's not like dormant and dead like we thought it was a month ago, would you make the trades necessary to, to level up this team? Would you, as Rob Palenka or, or Jeannie Buss, would you part with any of those 2027, 2029 unprotected picks that the Lakers have going forward to build this team, make it better, and maximize what they have. Troy, I want to start with you. Would you do it? Because it's tough. It's a harder It's a harder answer than it was a month ago. Because a month ago, all three of us said no immediately. I still think no. I do too. <laughs> But Steve, what are your thoughts? As LeBron James and Rich Paul and Clutch run this team, they would say you've got to trade them. If you want to keep LeBron, you got to. You, you got to make sure that something happens so you continue to have runs. You just can't have LeBron and then just keep consistently missing the playoffs. Why would he want to stay here? He is a franchise unto himself. He does not have to stay here if this continues. I know that they like helped with getting – AD there, and this seemed to be where LeBron wanted to end his career, but things change, right? It, that's what he said in Cleveland, too, and then Dan Gilbert's, you know, you got to blank me on this one. Dan Gilbert, the idiot that he is, ruined that completely, too, right? So maybe the Blakers ruin it completely here. I just don't see how you're going to hold back a couple draft picks from a couple years, and especially from LeBron's point of view of, like, Hey, you want me here? How much do you want me here? We need something else right now. Because that that um, bubble team that won the title, they didn't have like the greatest thing. You just right. need another Kyle Kuzma and another KCP and you're back in it. But Steve, I would argue that the only thing is that, yes, it's like you got like, you, you know, it's you, when you have those types of players on your team, even with even if you're the Lakers and you're confident you can go and get that type of talent again, 
you still got to maximize them when you're on your team. However, the Lakers arguably, if this blows up and goes, you know, doesn't go according to plan, those picks in 2027 and 2029, if they are, um, you know, if the Lakers are bad, are going to be insanely valuable. I mean, this was a team just a month ago that had New Orleans at the top of the Victor Wimbanyama sweepstakes while they're contending for a Western Conference Finals run. Like, this, like that's the crazy thing is, like, you know, we talk about it. It's like, man, this team's looking really good. But, like, of all the teams that are looking good right now, this is the this is the one that could fall that could fall apart the easiest, and it's not even close. Yeah, my counterpoint to that is this is the Lakers. They never really care about those things. They're always going to believe that they're going to land the next big free agent. They're always going to be able to pull in somebody right in free agency. That is their ace in the hole. They're always but that's been their biggest yeah. curse in a lot of ways too. Because right, they all, they, but they still haven't stopped doing that. It might yeah. be their curse, but when they stop doing that, I will stop saying that. They're always right. going to do it. Just like that idiot Dolan up in New York is always like, well, we're going to be a major player in free agency this year. Like those yeah. franchises just haven't built it. Into them. They're spoiled into thinking that. Well, and I mean, the, I mean, the Lakers, the difference is they're the only franchise that, that has a track record of saying that they're kind of right. The problem is, is that the modern NBA just is a little different. I mean, sure, you could still get stars in the future that would say, you know, the opportunity to go play with for the Lakers, the house that Kobe built, I'm sure there would be guys that would be interested. To yeah, have the Lakers and the Celtics are always going to have that cachet, though. That's the only thing. Yeah. But also, like, at the end of the day, I think what we've seen as well in the modern league is that, you know, even with that cachet, like, there are teams that can come out and, like, take over. Like, the Warriors over the last decade have become the most valuable team in the NBA, not because of their past, but because of what they have right now, right? So I think... You know, that's the other thing is, you know, teams can teams can become their own giants in this league now. But yeah, I guess if Laker leadership was different, if they weren't run by the genius of Rob Palenka and Jeannie Buss, then I would feel differently. But I just don't see they seem like they've tied themselves to LeBron too much. Right. Mm -hmm, for sure. Steve, I want to end the pod by asking you one last question. If you could take over as the general manager of any NBA team for one day and make one move, what would it be and why? You mean like right now, right now? or Yeah, like, like if, yeah, like let's say tomorrow you get to take over any NBA franchise of your choosing and you get to do it for a day. And there's what, like, and there's a list of things you want to get done, but you're going to make sure this one thing happens. Well, I mean, it's the Pistons, obviously. It's going to be the Pistons, and number one would be trade one of the veterans for either a first-round unprotected first-round <laughs> this year or or a really good potential, like the Moses Moody type of guy. I'm not, like, doing anything wild, like trading away all these future firsts. I'm not trading away Sadiq or, or Beef Stew. I know it's not, like, the sexiest answer, but I either want another crack at the apple or I want somebody that will fit this young timeline that has shown good potential that's just in a bad situation or, or just in a situation where they can't get out from under like really good good players like a Moses Moody, like a Patrick Williams, that type of thing. I'm curious of what Sean would do with that answer or that question. Oh, man. that There, there are so many different avenues that, that I could take it. I, I think for me... If I could do anything in the league, I think I would I think I would take over the Washington Wizards 
not even just for the purpose of like taking an action, but just sitting the ownership down and just going, guys, what the f are we doing here? <laughs> I mean, like, we have some guys, sure. But why are we giving, why are we giving frick, why are we doing all of these things and giving the keys to Bradley Beal to have a no trade clause supermax contract and literally put the franchise at hostage point? <laughs> so you mean you're going to waste your wish? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. There, yeah, yeah. There, there, there's nothing that that's going to accomplish. They're you know, be... I just saw a tweet the other day. Speaking of the Wizards, that they have never, never re-signed one of their draft picks that wasn't a top three pick. Never. They've never made it out of their rookie contract. Like, if that doesn't tell you how inept they are, I, I don't know what what can. Dude, it, and it's so bad because, like, I it's funny that you say that because, like, I remember watching, like, in the summer league, I remember, like, one prospect that we were all pretty high on right away when I saw him say, play in summer league. I was like, Ugh, Johnny Davis. Free right Johnny, away. get him out of there. Free, yeah. free Johnny, get him out of there. Yeah, free Johnny, get him out of Washington, man. It's bad, but... No, I honestly, I think the other, I think my, I think my real answer, I, I would take over Minnesota. I'd see what I get for Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah, that's a good one. I, I would, I would, cause I, I would say, listen, that if we're talking about situations that are untenable, you know, they, they shot themselves in the foot, right? When they traded all those picks for Rudy, the second they traded all that and they gave up Pat Bev to me, that was the sign that they completely, you know, didn't, they lost the, they, they, they were, they were lost in the sauce and they lost the identity and the reasoning that they got to the playoffs last year in the first place. So I thought that was just, you know, acidine. And I think we're seeing the the product of that because they suck, but you know, Cap could fit in, in a lot of other teams. Yeah. I mean, like if, if he's in the right situation, like if cat's not your, your franchise guy, if he's like your third option, you know what I mean? Like he'd be a damn good third option, but also the other problem is if you make him if you make if you if you make him a power forward instead of a center, he's no longer a matchup nightmare and, and, and he's actually quite easy to defend. So like that's a problem. I wonder who could have seen that coming, right, Steve? Exactly, exactly. I'm curious to know what Troy's answer to this is too. Man, man, man. You know, I was kind of thinking about Miami doing something there because I feel like they are in a position where they could get some value out of some of those guys, but I wouldn't mind seeing what Siakam's value is with Toronto. Ooh. Yeah. That's, you know, it's interesting because like they, you know, Toronto's in a position where like they, like if they wanted to, they could take all their young pieces and trade them for really awesome players throughout the league and try to make this super fun competitive team around Siakam or, they could shop Siakam and Van Vliet and try and go all out and get a ton of young pieces around Barnes going yeah. forward. But also, right. I mean, you know, like they, they also aren't in a bad spot, just sitting, sitting pat with what they have right now. Cause like, I mean, they're just accruing talent. They're just, you know, developing, getting better. And even then they're still staying pretty competitive and in the race, but uh, you know, side note, Scotty Barnes hasn't really been great this year. Not, not, not really any jump there at all actually kind of some regression as a matter of fact it looks like so good job scotty rookie of the year but also steve speaking of rookie of the years rookies of the year you're you're not a rookie by any means it's so good to have you here man thank you so much for being on the pod thanks for 
doing this, you know, so last second. I, I always just have fun talking hoops with the man. Seriously. I love, I just yeah, always love the man. opportunity. Anytime. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. And Troy, always good to see you, my friend, as always. Be sure you go follow my guys, Steve and Troy on Twitter. My guy at Burke Worldwide at Resball Pod and my boy Troy at Troy Turkey 44. And if you're feeling oh so generous, myself at Sean App Court. With that, folks, that's going to do it today for the pod. This is From Half Court, where we talk all things NBA basketball, Detroit Pistons, NBA draft, you name it. If you like that, be sure you like this. Subscribe to the channel. And be sure you hit that notification bell so you're not missing all the content we have here at From Half Court. And with that, folks, we'll, we thank you so much for tuning in. We'll catch you guys next time from Half Court. Be sure you subscribe.